Good evening, everyone. Good evening. <laughs> Good. <clears throat> I think there's a hundred and thirty-seven of you young people with souls that you have a responsibility for. You cannot escape the responsibility that you have. In fact, you don't want to. I... Whenever I come to these Bible schools, or we have one back in Ephrata there, and, and even other times also, I have a burden. Just something settles on my heart a bit, and I look over, you young people, and I see the tremendous potential you have for both good and evil. Something settles on my heart. When I look at you young men, and I, I remember back when I was young, your age and younger. I was married when I was 19. I remember some of the feelings I had. I'd like to think that you young men don't have some of those feelings that I had, but you probably do. I was never a young lady, obviously. But I married a young lady, and we've had a lot of, of good discussion. I know a little bit about how young ladies think, just a little. And I've been involved with some of you young ladies, maybe not you particularly, you individually, but I've been involved with young ladies of your age, and I know a little what your burdens are. When I was probably 18, I think. I was still in school, high school. I went to a joint vocational school. That means that the, the several school districts, I went to public school, several school districts around there uh, subscribed to this uh, school, and uh, they were invited to send the young people that wanted to come to that school and learn a vocation my junior and senior years. That's 11th and 12th grade. They, we had an uh, FFA chapter. I don't know if you all know what that is or not, but it was an FFA chapter, and, and we had um, a competition with other schools that we were preparing for. Well, they voted me in as president. And this competition was what they called parliamentary procedure. And we would, we would, we had our, our plans all made. We had our the words we was going to say. We knew exactly what we was going to, you know, make motions and move and, and have discussion and then, and then have conclusions and those kinds of things. And, and different schools would come and they would, they would um, compete, set before judges, and they would, the judges would determine who did it the best. I don't know what all they judged by, but they judged us. 
So we began to practice. I was in that position for a few practices and, and, and said in my heart, I don't want to do this. I can't do this. That was just me. Nobody told me that. So there was another young man in the class, and so I went and talked to him, and he said he'd do it. So he did it. I have no idea. I don't remember how we placed in that competition. He did the president's job. I did the secretary's job. The competition's all gone. It's all in the past. I haven't thought about it for years. I don't know why I thought about it. Well, I was studying downstairs. All that's gone. It's all in the past. I can't change it. Whatever it was, it was. What's more, it had very little effect on me, except for this one thing. I never forgot that I didn't fulfill my obligation. That's one thing I never forgot. Now, somebody else did it, but I didn't. You all look good tonight. I like the way you look. All of you, young men, young ladies, you look good. But you know, looks can be deceiving. You know that? There may be raging in some of your bodies a cancer that in one year from now you won't be alive. There may be waiting outside the doors next week, coronavirus. I'm not sure how dangerous that is, to be honest with you, but it's a big thing. There may be waiting outside these doors next week a sickness, a disease that you will have to fight. There may be. I don't know. There may be waiting for you a disappointment that you never dreamed would ever happen to you. There may be. I don't know. There may be waiting for you something that is beyond your imagination that you never thought of that will make you so supremely happy you can't imagine how you can even contain the joy that you might feel. I don't know. Young ladies, I don't know you well. And to be honest with you, I haven't been around much during the breaks and the sessions. I've been downstairs. But what I see looks good. I see a modesty of dress, I see a modesty of spirit. And I suppose there's other things, but that makes you beautiful. Every single one of you have a beauty 
about you. That's because of that spirit. Young men, I don't know if I call you beautiful or not. Uh, handsome, good looking. That's not even good words. Beautiful has a little d- a different definition than just the, the shape of your face or your anything like that. But it don't quite fit the young men. I suppose I'd maybe use the word, maybe just, you look young and strong. You look good. On the outside. I, I, I believe it's good on the inside. I, I do. I believe that for all of you. It's good on the inside. But there may be something waiting for you that you have no idea what's going to happen. You have no idea. <clears throat> when I look back at my life, I am, and the older I get, the more glad I am that I don't know the future. Sometimes we wonder, you young men, you young ladies, will I get married? Will I, who, who will be my wife? Who will be my companion? Who will be my husband? What's my future? What will I do? What's, uh, I wish I could know. The older I get, the less I want to know. Because as I look back at my life, some of the things I've gone through, I would not want to have known ahead of time that I was going to have to go through them. Because I probably wouldn't have responded right. I probably would have avoided them if I could. But I didn't. And you don't know either. <clears throat> you all look healthy. But do you know that if the devil has his way, he will destroy every one of you? You know that? Destroy you. He'll make you so you're not beautiful. He'll make you young men, you're not strong. That's what the devil is out to do. And you're going to go home in a few days. You're going to go back into this, get out of this greenhouse. You're going to go back to real life. This is not real life, and you all know that. It's real life today. But it's not where you live in this setting. You're going to go home. And you're going to face things that you never knew you would face. And you're going to be thankful that you don't know that. I'm telling you, you, you will be. You should be. And you will be. Because it's, it's God's plan. He didn't tell us ahead of time. He didn't let us see into the future at all. <clears throat> My burden for you is that the devil would not destroy you, but that the God of heaven would empower you. And make you strong and keep you beautiful. And let you become, be and become what God wants you to be and become. That's my burden for you. I don't know. I probably won't be back next year here. And some of you probably won't be back. But if I could come back, and if I could see you all again... I want all of you to be one year more mature, to be one year stronger, one year more beautiful. That's what we want. Now, you have a choice to make. You're going to walk out these doors, and whether you encounter that germ or that cancer or that whatever it is, you don't know. And you can't even help it in lots of ways. But there's one thing you can help. 
And that is you can make a decision. And Brother, Brother Haldine called you to a decision today to make a decision. I'm calling you to a decision also tonight. You're going to go out of this building at the end of this week, tomorrow night, and you're not going to come back for another year, but you have decisions to make. Let that settle on your heart. Brother Harold Dean talked about music. He talked about the decision you had to make in the, in the realm of music. And he wants you to make a decision, and we do too. Make a decision what music you're going to listen to because it affects you. I want you to make a decision, yes, about music, but I want you to also make a decision that you're going to walk with God in all the beauty that you look like now and the, and the strength you look like now from now on. Probably some of you are here and you have made some confessions that you didn't know you would even make. In fact, you probably came here wishing to hide from some of those things, probably, I don't know. But some of you, I know, made some confessions and some of them weren't very pretty. So you've got a decision to make. You made those confessions and you knelt down before your God and you said, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I hope you have. I hope you do. I hope you did. And God in his mercy said, By the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you. <clears throat> You're going to face things you never knew you'd face. But young men, I want you to become missionaries. I want you to become preachers. I want you to become husbands. Husbands that love your wives. I want you to become fathers that have a, a vision and a goal and a burden for their children. I want you to become strong church members. I want you to support it. Because there's no other thing that God ever said, and maybe I said this before, I don't remember. No other thing that God said would prevail against the gates of hell, the powers of hell, but the church. I want you young men to be strong supporters. I want to know someday you stood in a church and you stood firm. And you didn't drift with all the temptations that come along in your young life. You looked at life and you said, there's something more for me than just to do what I want to do. I have a bigger burden. I have a greater vision. I have a greater responsibility than to follow all those things, those whims of, the, of youth. I have something far bigger and better than that. You have a God to glorify. You have a soul to save. And young men, I want you to do it. Every one of you, get a burden on your heart. I will be faithful. I will be true by the grace of God. I'm making the decision tonight. And I'm not turning back. I'm going to go forward. Let the allurements of, of the flesh, let the, the attempts of the devil come against me. I'm remaining strong with Christ. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to spend time praying. I'm going to educate and develop my own, my own spiritual mind and my own heart to walk with God. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to do what my parents asked me to do, young men. I'm going to do what my authorities asked me to do. I'm going to serve where I can serve. 
I'm going to give of myself. I'm going to exert my strength and use everything I have to exalt the Lord Jesus in, the, in a very practical way. I'm going to submit when it's hard. I'm going to help when I don't want to. I'm going to get out of bed, even if I don't feel like it, because I've committed. That's what I want you to do, young men. That's my burden for you, and along with whatever else you can think of that's right and holy and godly. And young ladies... I want you to be those humble, submitted, caring, loving mothers, wives, young ladies. And maybe you'll not get married, I don't know. But I want you to have that, that chaste spirit of modesty in your hearts. I don't want you to rise up and take over. I don't want you to rise up and say, I went this way to your husband or to anybody else other than to your God. I don't want you to do that. I want you to meekly and humbly because, you know, meekness and humility, and I'll say this to you too, young men, is not weakness. To submit to your husband is not because you're, you're weak and can't do it. It's not less than. It's, in fact, greater than. I want you to do that, young ladies. I want you to have a humble, meek, submitted heart. Standing for truth. Unwilling to bend and blow with the winds of style and change and, and fads. Willing to stand strong. What you have here today, what I see on the outside, I like. Don't lose it. And if you see any weakness in your heart, young ladies, you take that to heart and say, Maybe I need to change a little bit. You know, let me say this to you, young ladies. This, I didn't intend to say this, but I'll say it. You have a tendency, and a general, generally, you young ladies like to look pretty. I don't fault you for that. Nobody wants to, nobody wants to purposely, and I don't believe you should purposely just make yourself disheveled and, and, and dirty and those kind of things. Not at all. You want a godly young man to come and ask for you. Generally. You know how to get that godly young man to come and ask for you? Live a godly, holy life. Give an impression of who you want to be. Give an impression of holiness and godliness. Stretch beyond what your parents really want you to do and, and do your hair a little bit different than they want and, and wear your dresses a certain way, a little tighter, whatever you want to say. And young ladies, you'll draw those young men who pay more attention to that than what is in your heart. You don't want it. Your heart on the inside, let it come out on the outside and let it be humble and beautiful. Now, I haven't looked at you and evaluated every one of you. I've looked over the crowd. I've been around here a few days. And I haven't, I haven't decided, well, that one and that one, they need to. I haven't done that. Generally speaking, I, I like what I see. 
And if you know in your heart, young, man, young lady, that you are tempted to vanity and floof, whatever that is, you know what I mean, check it. Just check it. Because I'll say it again. Go that direction. Go that direction of vanity and pride and floof. And that's the kind of young men you'll draw. And those young men are looking for more. What, what, what I forget, somebody said it this morning. Um, they're looking for more of, uh, I don't remember, what they look like, what you look like than what you really are. <clears throat> young men, I hope you're listening. Choose young ladies who have a holy, godly character. That's a little of my burden. Let me say something more to you, young ladies. Fathers have had a reputation. There have been fathers who have had a reputation of being praying, faithful fathers. And I bless God for that. But probably, in all honesty, there's probably been more mothers who have done more in the, in the area of prayer and faithfulness to their children than the fathers have. I'm not discounting you fathers. I'm not saying you should let this go and let them do it, fathers, young men. I am saying to you, young ladies, get a hold of that. This is my job. My wife and I have this argument. We haven't been able to settle yet. I say, if our children turn out even halfway good, which they did, it's her, it's, she's the one that did it. She said, if our children turned out halfway good, you're the one that did it. I still think she did it. I do. I really do. So, young ladies, that doesn't mean you'll be that way. You, you, you and your husband will have this argument. But I'm telling you, make it a challenge. Do that. Make it a challenge. You're the one praying. You're the one fasting. You're the one caring. You're the one who is initiating conversations with your, your sons and grandsons and your daughters. Asking about their spiritual welfare. Young men, do that too. That's a good thing. But there's something about a woman. There's something about her gentle character that can tend to open up people sometimes. So, young ladies, use what you have. And young men, I have to say this too. Just because they're doing that doesn't mean you shouldn't. It means you should too. Okay, I don't know if I've, I've unloaded my burden or not. I think I probably have. That's my burden. You know, young men, sometimes you scare me. The young ladies are not quite as scary because they're not quite as aggressive. You kind of scare me sometimes. If I had it, then I didn't have the choice. But if I could choose, if I was a, a father and I was going to get married and I would decide what, what gender I wanted, what would I choose, boys or girls? Well, I'll tell you what I'd choose. I'd choose two boys or three boys and two girls. 
Well, that's what I have. <laughs> My point. I'll tell you why you scare me. Because you're aggressive. No, I don't mean that in a bad way. You're supposed to be. You're leaders. You're supposed to be initiating and, and dreaming dreams and, and fulfilling them and going out and making things happen. That's your job. But how, I'll tell you how. And, and this, is, this is why the young men that don't scare me don't scare me. Because they're willing to humble themselves, as Mickey talked here today. They're willing to humble themselves and be a blessing. They're willing to be taught. They don't know everything. They're willing to be taught. So I encourage you, young men, ask questions. Ask questions. Sixteen to twenty-seven years ago, your fathers brought forth on this continent, on this earth, a new little baby boy and a new little baby girl. Conceived in freedom and dedicated to the opportunity that all souls have a responsibility to return back to their creator the debt that they owe. Now, we are engaged in a great war. Anybody recognize what I'm, what I'm using? Not yet. We're engaged in a great war, testing whether that young man or that young lady dedicated to the cause of Christ can endure to the end. We're in a great war, and we're finding out whether or not you young man or you young lady can endure to the end faithful. We're here to send you forth with a teaching of what you learned here. We're sending you, we taught you. We're sending you forth now. Of what you learned here. That teaching stands as a memorial to you and to the lives of your future generations to leave an example that others can also follow. How you employ that teaching is going to make all the difference. And we have confidence to bless you this way. We have confidence. You made your choice to come here. And you chose willingly and freely. And we have confidence that what we've taught you, you will take with you and you will do something with it. It will change your life. We have confidence. We have confidence to bless you this way. But in a larger sense, We've not taught you anything more than what the Lord Jesus has taught. It's not us that did the teaching. It's the Lord Jesus that did the teaching. 
You will consecrate your lives by living and dying for him. This is what you will do. And we can only bless the Lord Jesus for that. You're the ones who will do this. I can't do it for you. I've lived a few years. And I've done a few things myself, some good, some bad. But I know what it's like to experience the joys of coming clear and right with God. I know what it's like, to my shame, to stand before God with my head hung down. Or rather, worse than that, turn my back on God and walk away. Not many people will ever remember, not many people outside of this group right here ever remember all that was done or said here. But because it was a great work started, I believe it was, it's a great work started and has been so and will be so nobly advanced by the grace of God. For the Lord Jesus, it will be. Fight on, young people. Fight on. Go on. Don't let those enemies that are trying to destroy you cut you down. Don't let them do it. Go on. What you've learned here, those things you've heard this week, those commitments you've made in your heart, even those little things of, yeah, that's right. Don't let it go. Hold on to it. And it'll bring glory to your Lord and your captain. And someday our purpose and our goal is that you will be part of that undefeatable army of the, of the living God. That someday you will conquer all, shatter all the enemies, and you'll be victorious to the end. That's what I want. That's what I want. That's what I want for you. And every one of you have the power to do it. Every one of you have the strength within you by the grace of God to do it. Every single one of you. Not one here has to be lost. This is a sad statistic. Mickey quoted it earlier. He said 40 people. Actually, it was 50 people. 50 young men that this brother knew. He said Five are faithful today. Ten percent. Young men, that's a sad statistic. Change it. Sixty of you young men here, more or less. Make 60 captains in the army of God. Sixty of them. I want to tell you a little story. I might read the little story, actually. Has anybody here read through the martyr's mirror? I know there's, I know there's, I know there's at least, uh, okay, you got two out here? Anybody over here? 
How many of you have read In the Martyr's Mirror? Put your hands up high. I want to see them. Okay, good. Thank you. So I wonder what you came away with when you read all those stories. Let me read you a story. 1549, three weeks before Easter. I don't know how to say these names. I'm going to say them like they're spelled. This may not be the right way to say them at all. Fiji and Eelkin were apprehended at Bourne in West Friesland, and they were brought before the authorities, and they boldly confessed their faith, 1549. Yeah. And they, they were questioned, and they said, uh, oh, various questions. I'm not going to read them all. He said, uh, what do you hold concerning the sacraments? This is their question. Their answer was, I know nothing of your baked God. They replied, friend, take care what you say. Such words cost necks. Now, I'm not saying that to you as a threat. They were saying that, they were saying that as a threat. The lords, the authorities, they said to those two men that were apprehended for, they were teaching, they were assembling people and teaching them the Bible, and they said, be careful what you say. When you make fun of our God, such words cost necks. And let me say this to you, if I may. Since we've been thinking a lot about music this, work, this week, friend, take care what you listen to such songs cost necks. They went on, had their, their interrogation, asked them several, several questions, and, and then they finally said, we have now written down the, all the articles concerning the, the thing that we interrogated you for, and if you'll repent of any of them, we'll strike each one out as you repent. Their answer was this. Do you think that I should deny my God? They were condemned to death. Their execution was deferred till the third day after this. I'm not sure why. After the sentence was passed. Eelkin was first executed with the sword. Fiji's sentence was read, but he didn't listen to it because of his great joy that he had. He didn't even know what he was going to get, how he was going to be killed. He was so joyful. That's what it says. It sounds almost hard to believe, but that's what it says. I'm going to believe it. Now, they didn't do that because they stayed in bed in the mornings. They didn't do that because they followed the paths of the world. They didn't do that because they succumbed to their fleshly desires. That's not why they did it or how they did it. They did it because they loved God. And they were set to go all the way. They knew what it was going to cost them, but they were willing to do it. 
But this man was so happy because he got to testify for his Lord. Eel, Eel, what's his name? Eelman? Get his name now. Eelkin. Eelkin, they took him out in a boat. And I don't know why they did it this way. They took him out in a boat and cut his head off. Left his body there in the boat. Went back to the shore. Got Fiji. Yeah, Fiji. Took him out. Somehow or another in the process, his bands got loose and he was sitting there free. He wasn't bound. He just sat there. He asked the executioner, he said, what are you going to do to me? The executioner said, you'll see. Fiji said, do what you will. I've committed myself into the hands of my Lord. He saw some friends over on the bank. Fiji did, and he said, he said, he cried out, Friends, rejoice with me over this marriage feast which is prepared for me. I don't know that I can imagine it. I can't paint a picture probably that really does very much justice to it, justice to it. But can you just put yourself in the place here? Here's you're sitting in a boat. I don't know how big a boat it was, probably not very big. Your friend is laying there on the bottom executed and you're just about going to go out and get executed too and you don't even know how because he was had his head cut off maybe you're going to be drowned maybe he doesn't know and he says friends rejoice with me rejoice with me I'm about to leave my family I'm about to leave everything I, I worked for and everything I longed for and everything that was happy to made me happy in life not everything because he had a greater happiness he said I'm about to walk away from all these things I'm about to leave behind everything that I maybe work for. I don't know. But he said, rejoice with me. I'm about to go. Because he said, there's a marriage supper waiting for me. In the end, the common people, says here, the common common people cried out saying, this was a pious Christian If he is not a Christian, there is not one in the whole world. Let me give that challenge to you young people. Let me give a challenge to you. Anybody who sees you, anybody who talks with you, let them say, that is a pious Christian. I'll give you that challenge. And you know what? You're going to have to remember that because it's not going to come natural. You're going to get caught up in some of the things of life. It's not going to come natural. I want, I want you to keep in mind that anybody who meets you, and I can talk to them after you've been with them, they could say, that is a pious Christian. That's a Christian Christian. <clears throat> Verse 
Turn with me, if you will, 2 Corinthians Second Corinthians chapter four. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse eighteen, the last the last verse there in the in the chapter. I'm gonna start in seventeen, excuse me. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul says, for our light affliction. Sounds like he had a little cold. Maybe. Maybe he had, oh, maybe a little headache too with it. <clears throat> but you know what it was? A lot of you do, but I'm going to read it to you. This is what Paul calls a light affliction. And you know why he, has, he can call it a light affliction? Because he has his sights on somewhere else. He's not looking at where he's at right now. He's only looking at the thing beyond. He's looking for it because he's, he's, he's working for that weight of glory. That's what he's looking at. Young ladies and young men, I tell you, look for that weight of glory. Put your, put your eyes up there. Look out beyond. You've got more to do than just to live this life and, and be involved in all these things here that get you so distracted. You've got something better to work for. Look beyond. Look beyond. Young ladies, look beyond. How many young ladies have I known that they were struggling with wanting to get married and they said, okay, Lord, I'm done with this. I'm going to put it on the shelf. Remember the shelf this morning? I'm going to put it there. And you know what Mickey said on that shelf? That's God's shelf. When we put things up there, we give them to God. How many young ladies have I heard? And I, this doesn't always work this way. It's, it's God's plan, God's desire, whatever he wants to do. Put it on the shelf. And the next thing you know, here comes a young man. <clears throat> My point is, put it on the shelf. <clears throat> a light affliction. Why he called it a light affliction? Because he had his sights somewhere else. He says, if you want to turn with me, you may. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. I'll start there. I'll give you a little chance to turn to it. Eleven twenty-three. he says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes above measure. He couldn't even count them all. Stripes. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, oft. I don't know what that means. Of the, five, of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, say one. Five times 40 is 200. Minus um, five, 195. Stripes. I suppose that means scourgings across his back. And he calls them light afflictions. You know why? 
because he had his sights set somewhere else. He wasn't worried about this body and these things. He had a goal somewhere else that was far greater and far higher than these things. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Just, I don't know what they were. I, I think of a half-inch steel rod, what I think of, about five feet long, and just whipping him, just beating on him. Beat, beat, beat. Five times. Light affliction. Because he had his sight set somewhere else. Once I was stoned. I've, I've tried to imagine in my mind what it would be like to be stoned, and I can't. But here comes these rocks. They hit you here, and 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 they hit you here, and, and they just keep coming. The intention is to kill you. He called it a light affliction. A night and day have I been in the deep. I don't know what that means. I'm going to give you what I think it means. It just simply means, I don't know. But I wonder if he didn't mean the deep would be considered the ocean. A night and a day he's been there in the ocean because of shipwrecks or whatever it was, I don't know. Just... Not knowing he's going to live or die. He called it a light affliction. In journeys often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. Light affliction. apostles of Christ, men who walked with Christ, and we might say, yeah, well, that'd be different. If I could actually walk with Jesus and I could talk with him and, and hold his hand and, and walk with him and hear from him and just be with him for those three and a half years, I'd be different too. Those 12 apostles, I think 10 of them were crucified or beheaded or, or uh, beaten with clubs. One was beaten with clubs. Crucified upside down. I have no idea what that would be like. That's what these men went through. Do you know why? Because they had a vision beyond this life and the things of this life. What they did... Okay. I'm going to be a little hard on you. I'm not being critical. But I'm going to be a little hard on you. I'm going to challenge you. If you want to be like that, if you want to call these things light affliction because you have a greater desire and, and, and goal beyond these things, you don't get it by staying in bed. And let me say this much more. Bear with me now. You don't get it by playing volleyball. And I'm not against playing volleyball. Don't take me wrong here. But you don't get it by playing volleyball. You don't get these these visions that call these things light afflictions by huh, hooting with the owls. Huh. You don't get these things by staying in bed in the morning. You don't get these things by letting your flesh have its way. You get it by disciplining your flesh. You say, flesh, I'm in control now. I'll do what I want to do and you won't get your way. That's what you'll do. Do you realize that we live in the most dangerous world in the country in the world? And you probably all know what I'm talking about. 
We live in the most dangerous country of the world. Do you know why? Because we're the richest country in the world. What's it say here? I wrote this. Oh, yeah, here. The richest country in the world is worth, this is what they estimate, $106,000 billion. It's almost beyond their comprehension. I don't know what the, how many trillions that is. I don't know. Or quadrillions, whatever it is. Europe is next. $91,000 billion. Do you know, if your family has your $100,000 home paid for, and that's pretty cheap, probably. I don't know what homes cost. In Pennsylvania, it's, you, don't, you, don't buy them, you don't ever buy them that cheap. If you have your $100,000 home paid for, you're among the 9% richest people in the world. <clears throat> we live in a dangerous country. And it's not dangerous because we have people going out here trying to, trying to uh, determine whether or not we love the Lord Jesus or not. It's dangerous because we're wealthy. Jesus said one time, he said, it is impossible for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. He said, it's not possible. Only possible with God. You can't do it. I'm rich. I'm very wealthy. I've got my home paid for. And it costs more than that. I'm glad that Jesus said it's only possible with God. I'm glad of that. But I'm also very concerned that as you young men, you go out and get a job and you you like to get paid as good as you can. You get paid well. In fact, you may even change jobs so you get a little higher pay. I'm not saying that's all wrong. But I'm saying it's dangerous. Do we have to walk through this world? Yes. Do we have to walk through the dangers? Yes. Should we all move to um, Haiti so we don't have any money? No, I don't think so. But when I know it's dangerous, I am going to take greater care to where I walk than if I don't know it's dangerous. If I know I'm walking in a... We used to live out west and we saw several rattlesnakes. And I knew I was walking in rattlesnake country. I was a little more careful. A lot more careful, actually. And that's the way we should be, too. Walk carefully, young people. Walk carefully. The devil is out to ensnare you with all this money that's so easily at your fingertips. I don't know. I don't know what the right thing to do is. Is it right to just voluntarily be poor? That's better than going to hell. Jesus said, if your right hand offend thee, cut it off. It's better to enter into life halt to maimed than it is to to, uh, go to hell. So just be careful, young people. And young ladies, you can have the problem too. Not just the young men. Be careful. You are wealthy. You are rich. Things eternal. I didn't, I didn't go on there. 
In Matthew, in, in, excuse me, Second Corinthians chapter four, verse eighteen, I talked about the light affliction and the far greater weight of glory that's waiting for you, if you keep your eyes on it. <clears throat> now he says, "While we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen, for the things that are seen are temporal." That means temporary. That means those things don't carry with them the power to give you eternal life. But the things which are not seen are eternal. I brought this up here. Or I had him bring it up here. Because I want to, I want to hear a little bit from you. We've talked a little bit about, we only, we've only talked about affluence as something that's dangerous. Something that is, uh, <clears throat> yeah. I would like to hear from you. Some things you think might be dangerous that would distract your eyes from that eternal weight of glory. I heard a brother say one time, and he did it. He did it extremely well. He was teaching something. And he told me later, he said, I did that for a reason. What he did was, he let the, the he was talking to young people. He let the young people come up with their ideas of things because then it came from them. Give me some suggestions of what you think could be something that could distract you from that eternal weight of glory. Sporty vehicle. Sporty vehicle. Good. Smartphone. Young ladies. Friends. Is that what you said? Friends. Friends can be. They can be. That's right. They don't have to be, but they can be. They can be an ally, not not uh, an enemy. It's a good idea, though. Did I spell that right? Heartstrings for the future. Heartstrings Dreams for the future. I should have said future dreams. Okay? Now, young ladies, you're smarter than the boys anyway. So I want to hear something from you. I'm sorry. Music. Music. (laughs) That's a good one to come up with today. But it's true. That's right. Books. Books can be. Do you have any idea? Do you, you have any certain kind of books in mind? Fiction. Fiction books? Yeah. Let's get a couple more. Business. I'm sorry. Business. Business. Thank you, Andrew. 
Didn't hear you. Reputation. Why is reputation a problem or could be? Who said it? Why did you say it? Clothing. Clothing. Why is reputation? I'll get it. Who, did you say reputation? But you don't want to say why? Okay, good. It can drive us towards or away from something. What did you say? Clothing. Clothing. These are things that can lure your eyes away from that eternal weight of glory. So that when you're really tried, it's not a light affliction. Uh, Let's have a couple more. One more at least. I'm sorry. Business of life. I heard something else back here too. Yeah. Life and all its cares. Okay, we're going to stop there. That's an interesting list. I'd like to ask, I don't know if I should or not, I'd like to ask, how many of you think this one might be a problem? Let's go ahead. Who thinks that might be a problem? With you. I mean, you're being honest now. Yeah, with you. Sorry. Okay, now all of a sudden the the, the girl's hands went down. How many of you think that might be a problem with you boys? Okay, take note of that. This can distract you from that eternal weight of glory to when you are afflicted, it will not be light. How many of you think a smartphone could be a distraction to you? Put your hands up high. Don't be ashamed. Let's be honest. Good. Thank you. Friends. Think they could be for you? You're putting your hand up now. You're making a mental note of this. Did you put your hand up? And you're going to say, I am going to be aware of that. That's what I want you to do. Future dreams. How many of you think that could be a problem? That could distract you for your eyes. Going that eternal weight of glory. Music. Everybody put your hand up. Maybe it's not for some of you, and praise God if it's not. But if you say it is, take note of that. You raised your hand on that. This is something for you to take note of. This is something that, will, that can distract you. And someday, you'll look back with regret. Books, she, she, I kind of pressed her a bit for that fiction thing there. Books, let's just keep it to books. Could that be a problem with anybody? Think could? I'm going to ask you. I'm going to, I'm going to get bold here. Why are books a problem to you? A portal to another world. That's an interesting answer. Very good answer. Books are a portal to another world. It's an unreal world. And you can get lost there. Business, reputation, clothing, clothing. How many of you think clothing could be a problem? Be honest. Put your hands up. Now, let me ask you this. Why is it a problem? 
Why would clothing be a problem? Timothy. That's good. I've heard it said this way before, and this is a little bit different, but the heart of the mother is on the back of her child. Okay? I'll say it a different way. The heart of the person is on their back. Good. Life, care, social media. How many think that might be a problem? I want to ask you something while we're here. How many of you have on your phones a... What do they call it? Filter. Okay, put your hands up. Hands up. Now, I'm going to ask the worst question. The worst question. How many of you have phones and do not have a filter? I'm going to make a recommendation that you put one on. The devil is out to destroy. And it doesn't take long to taint you. And get your eyes off of that eternal weight of glory. Okay. Now I want to do another thing. These are the things that distract us. Now I want to talk about things. I want you to give me some suggestions for things that are, those are things we can see, they're temporal. I want to talk about some things that you can't see that are eternal. That you want to cultivate in your life. That you want to to look at them. You want to bring them into your life because... They're eternal. Give me some suggestions. <laughs> good, good. Let's do one at a time. Uh, I heard authority. Who said that one? Honor for authority. That's a unseen thing. I'm just put honor authority. Now, I had a couple more. Relationship with Christ. Good. Relationship is such a long word. Was there a couple more? A spirit of humility. Amen. Mickey said it today, and I'll just have to reiterate it. I'll tell you a little story. It's a little one. Yesterday, down in the basement, Mick, Mick and I were talking, and he said, I've got, I have two messages left, and I have four. I have two messages to give and four to, four to get. Four to, uh, I have four, but I have two to give. He said, what, do you, what would you recommend? And he told me all four of them. And I said, give humility. And he said, I knew you'd say that. It is a key to keeping your eye on that eternal weight of glory. Humility. Humility. Is that all that was showed up over here? Contentment. Contentment. 
Okay, girls. I'm sorry, I'm hard of hearing. Prayer. Prayer, good. I spent way too long on the tractor, out in the fields, plowing with no cab, no hearing protection, just roaring all day long. And I still hear it. So, wear your protection. Prayer. Amen. Bible study. Yeah, we can see that. What do we get out of Bible study? Who said it? Did you say it, Eva? Nobody's showing up. Are you saying it? You did. Okay. Bible study. What do you get out of Bible study that is eternal that you can't see? I thought she said it. (laughs) I'm going to put spiritual growth. What else? Gentleness. Gentleness. That's good. Okay, let's take a couple more. I'm sorry, something kind of heart. I'm so sorry. What'd she say? Joyful heart. Okay, I'm going to put joy here. That shows up, but that's a result of an eternal, of something eternal in you. One more. It sounded like safe to me, but I don't think that's what it was. Faith. Faith. Sorry. Sorry. My wife tells me I need hearing aids. This is my philosophy. My philosophy is... You know how deaf people, you know, blind people have really sharp hearing? Blind people have really sharp hearing? Isn't that right? Don't they? Well, I figure I don't have such sharp sharp hearing, but if I get hearing aids, I'm just going to relax on my hearing and I'll get more, more, I won't hear as well even then. Because I won't, you know, I'm sharpening my hearing. I don't think that's right. Honor authority. These are things that are eternal. These are things that, are, that help us to see that eternal weight of glory that we're going through so that we can, so we can, so we can take these little things that come along and we call them light afflictions. Okay? Honor authority. That's a good one. Because that's not always so easy to do. But it takes a spiritual person to bow their hearts to authority. And they may, and what's more, the authority may not even be completely right. That's not the point. The point is you know how to bow your heart. And then when God asks you to do something, you can bow your heart. And we could go through these. Prayer, spiritual growth, gentleness. I spelled that wrong, didn't I? Joy and faith. You know, joy is a good one too. You know, joy is not something you put on. Joy is something that comes out of the heart. And it comes out of the heart because there's contentment, there's peace, there's uh, freedom, there's light. So, 
Let me challenge you with this. And this came from uh, Laura, Mickey's wife. She said, I just want to go into a store or wherever I may go. And when I go out of there, that person that I talk to in that store knows I was a Christian. And she sees something or that person sees something that makes her want to be a Christian too. Set your mind and heart on that a bit. When you go someplace and you meet somebody, they find out or they can see there's something different about you and they want to be like you. This evening, what we've challenged you with, and you have raised your hand and said some of these things were problems, and you've given me suggestions of what could make you Take all those persecutions that may come on you and call them light afflictions because they don't affect you. Okay? I remember going into a a council room one time with a young man. He was a good young man. Good, Good upbringing, good parents, good family. Not that that has to be prerequisite to what I'm going to tell you, but this is the way he was. We saw him as he grew up. He began to wear cowboy boots and a buckle and, you know, the shirt. He came into the council room one day after a message. He responded to the altar. He said, I'm done with my vanity. I'm done with my cowboy boots. I'm done with my belt buckle. I'm done with my shirts. I want to walk with Christ. That young man made a wise decision. Today, that young man's a deacon in the church. Not that that makes him any better, but people have confidence. Make decisions like that, young men. Make decisions that's going to give you a vision, not distraction, for something better. And young ladies, the same way with you. Make decisions that you're going to put aside these things that are distracting you. Put aside these things that are vanity because you have a higher goal. You have a higher aim. You're going somewhere different than there. Those things are all all temporal. There is something higher. So this evening, 
Here you are. You've made some commitments. You've listened to some of these things and you said, yes, I agree, I understand, that's right. Ten percent of those young men, 50 young men who were good, godly young men, just like you, 10% of them are walking in the way today. 45 of them are, I'm not going to say they're unsaved. I'm only going to say the path they're on is leading on a, on a, to, a, to a slippery place at least. It's leading them to a place that if they keep going, it goes downhill. 10%. That means only about six of you are going to make it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Prove me wrong. Prove me right. Prove God right. I don't know how it is. I didn't, I've never done a survey. I've never heard of a survey for young ladies. It, it might be a little better. I don't know. You're not as aggressive. <clears throat> so my burden this evening as I have given it to you is that you young men and you young ladies would get a hold of something that someday you'll be preachers, you'll be missionaries, you'll be, you'll be solid men in the church. And young ladies, you'll be those chaste, you'll be those submissive, you'll be those godly, you'll be those praying wives and women that God can use. That's my prayer that's my heart. That's my burden. We don't, we don't do all this. These brethren here in this area, they don't do all this for the, well, they, it's kind of fun, I guess. But they don't do it for the fun of it. They do it have a vision in mind. They have a purpose. They have a plan. They, many of them have taken off work and whatever they've done. I talked to one young brother. He said, I don't know how it'll be when I go back to work. I'll just have to catch up. But he willingly did it. <clears throat> That's not to make you feel guilty. That's just simply to say, there's effort put here. <clears throat> and they love to do it. I'm sure of that. Let me give you, let me give you just a little bit more here, and then I'm going, to, I'm going to have an altar call. I'm going to give you a chance to, to make the commitment that you've already made. I'm going to give you a chance to come up here and bow down before God and put it in God's hands. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. Catch this one. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything give thanks. What's your job? What's God want out of you? That's one thing he wants for sure. Be thankful. Quench not the spirit. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. If you ever wonder what his voice sounds like, I suppose probably some of you, if maybe many of you have said, what does the voice of the Holy Spirit sound like? Let me tell you what it sounds like. It sounds like this. It sounds like the Word of God. 
What is, my, what is my responsibility? What am I supposed to do? Read this. That's the voice of the Spirit speaking to you. You can count on it. Don't neglect it. Despise not prophesying. And I'm going to put that prophesying in this way. I'm going to say, despise not correction. Take correction. It is good for you. And lastly, abstain from all appearance of evil. That means keep away from what even might look like evil. In other words, you can be guilty by association. Thank you for listening. And thank you for taking it to heart. I believe you have. But I'm going to give you an opportunity now. Do we have a song?